0: Welcome to the Connector podcast for female entrepreneurs that are ready to level up personally and professionally.
1: Here at Connector, we believe you are always one connection away from your next life changing opportunity. So buckle on up and join
0: us as we connect you with the most sought after experts who will be sharing their exact strategies and experiences that helped them reach success.
1: We're your hosts, Sam Conaway and Rachel Haig. We are the brains behind Connector, which is not your typical boring pitch fest networking community. And we have transformed the lives of over 10,000 women through events, mentorship, and of course, connections. Let's dive in. Can I get a boo yeah?
0: <laughs> Heyo, connectors in the his house. What up, what up? How y'all doing? We are excited for this episode, but we also were not going to post this episode, and let me tell you why. (sighs) This episode was not recorded for our podcast. What? What? (laughs) So we actually went in and we got interviewed by the Ariser Nation fam, which if you don't know who they are, they are incredible entrepreneurs, and they have an incredible entrepreneur community as well. And we were on their podcast and then we were listening back to it and we were like, we actually shared a lot of our vulnerability. We actually shared a lot about our lives and a lot about what brought us to being who we are now and the leaders that we are now, the entrepreneurs that we are now. So we figured we would just bring that episode on over to here so you guys can have a little bit of an insight on our life. And you can also hear from the Riser Nation boys because they are dope and we're going to have them on the podcast here soon. So we hope you enjoy this episode and we'll get back to our normal
1: queue of episodes next week. Let us know if you cried.
2: (laughs) We are so excited for this episode. Rachel, Sam, how are y'all?
1: We're doing, doing great. Goody. I was just Good. thinking about how you guys live together, and Rachel and I made a pact that we would never live together. So I'm <laughs> Why g- not? I'm so glad it works for you guys.
2: I feel like you guys get along so well. It sounds like that would be a fun, fun we journey. We
0: because we have a break. You we know? <laughs> 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 would kill each other. <laughs> uh, no, but we are doing great, and thank you for having us. We're happy to be here.
2: Amazing. Well, the way we start these episodes is a little bit about your stories, where you grew up, how you grew up, what it was like. I know you guys are both from Las Vegas, but you guys didn't actually know each other until you met here in Austin. So if you guys don't mind, and we if we have a brave volunteer, we'd love for one of you to go first to talk a little bit about your childhood and how you ended up in Austin.
1: I will volunteer as tribute.
2: Let's go, Sam.
1: All right, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> So growing up for me, I was in a very disciplined household. From a young age, I started martial arts along with Rachel, but we didn't know each other yet, (laughs) and I became a second-degree black belt by the age of 13. My childhood looked like waking up before middle school and going for a two-mile run, followed by going to school all day and then going to training after and then doing additional training for a demonstration team. And we flew around to all of the different states in the U.S. uh, and I was competing to be a world champion. Amazing. I was on a demo team for all women and it kicked my booty. But it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, I remember I would go into classes and... There was one day in particular where I was in a bad attitude. I was not having it, and my instructor had me stay in push-up position the entire class as she kicked me in the stomach over and over and over again. To get me out of this bad attitude, yeah. I don't know if that was like okay to do it to a child. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this, Western you know, kind of messed me up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a lot it all of discipline. Makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, right. Welcome <laughs> no, to the Riser like, Therapy session. About it, we <laughs> 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 tears Wait, like well, streaming well, out. <laughs> Let me ask, what what
2: is yeah. demo? What is that like? Like Harlem Harlem Globe Trotters, like they go and like <laughs> Is that your only frame of reference? Yeah, that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> like, are you guys like like is demoing like performing in like martial arts in mm-hmm. front of people? Yeah. At what like?
1: So you'll bring uh, my weapon of choice was num and so Seems you would fitting. do like, right, <laughs> you would do like nunchucks in front of everyone, throw it up in the air, spin around, catch it, cartwheels, backflips, like all the cool stuff. At and like
2: parades we, or like
1: uh, elderly performed homes? At like elderly <laughs> homes? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we want to see martial arts. <laughs> yeah. there Honestly, it was, it was at, right? uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 51's games. <laughs> 51's games. I yeah. that one, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So Rachel, actually we didn't know each other. She was doing the exact same thing at the exact same age. Uh, and it's just crazy. So we'll we'll get into how we met each other a little bit later. But yeah, so that was a lot of before high school. That's what I was doing. I was just being extremely disciplined. I was the kid in the class that would raise my hand and say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I grew up in Vegas. It was very weird that anybody else was doing that. It wasn't very like a conservative area. So it was very strange for people to hear that. I was actually extremely shy as well, which, Doesn't really go hand in hand with the amount of confidence they teach in martial arts, but I was extremely withheld from speaking my opinion or asking questions. I sat in the very back of the classroom. I was a C student, straight C's. I never really excelled in academics because it never piqued my interest. But when I was fixated on something like martial arts and training and the reason I was up at 5 a.m. before middle school every morning is because I wanted to be a winner. And that did not correlate at all to academics. So it was very confusing when I would go to school and teachers would pretty much say, like, you're not going to be anything that great because you can't do good on these tests. And I would hear that over and over and over until I started to believe that. And I was not popular in high school. I didn't really have any friends. I didn't have any solid groups of people. I was kind of an outcast. And that is a very big reason why connection, why community, why people are so important to me now. Because when you're a wallflower, you kind of just like sit back in the back of the room and you just understand people's emotions and you're reading people constantly, then I feel like you have a lot more emotional intelligence. Mm. So that was kind of the growing upside. When I went into college, I was a collegiate athlete. I ran cross country and track, got a full or partial scholarship to run, loved running. We ran like 10 miles every day at the end of practice in Las Vegas heat, 120 degrees out. If you didn't drink a gallon of water before that, you were probably going to pass out and die. So <laughs> it was hot and it was bothering, but not in a good way.
2: <laughs>
1: Anyways, uh, go to college and I hated college. I did not like academics. I did not want to work for anybody. I was never motivated on building somebody else's dream. I knew that if I put my heart and soul into something such as sports led me to, then I would do really well at it. But I just had to figure out what that was. And I started my first business when I was 19 years old in college because I wanted to get out of college. So I was working three jobs at the time, going to school full time, running cross country. And then I started training for bodybuilding shows on top of that. So discipline on top of discipline. I didn't talk to anybody if I had any amount of time I was sitting in a Starbucks and I was studying on how I could create this business, do better, just creating profit for myself so I could have this life of freedom because I didn't feel, I've never felt freedom before that moment.
2: Well, it sounds like up to that point, you were so disciplined that you probably had the mindset, if I can use this same amount of discipline and effort into another endeavor, I'll find success in it as well. Mm -hmm. So what was that business at 19?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tell them the truth. You mentioned
2: it like three times, but Tell you haven't the told us. <laughs> you knew the question reason. was coming.
1: <laughs> so it was called Party Pals. <laughs> Let's
2: go. I like to party and I like pals. Keep it was going. called
1: Party Pals and it was an Amazon FBA store. Nice. And I, I only had an hour every day because of working three jobs and also going to school full time to dedicate time to learning how to start Party Pals.
2: And what were those three jobs?
1: So I was working in a restaurant, steakhouse, pizza, and then also a personal training gym as an instructor.
2: Were those things that you wanted to do or was it something that you had to do because your parents weren't helping you at the time? What did that look like?
1: So I never really expected my parents just to hand me anything. But uh, at the time, I worked in the restaurants because the tips gave a lot of money. (laughs) For me at the time, it felt like a lot of money that I was making, so I just kind of and that's when I started to learn sales skills. <laughs> you want, Are you sure you want to upsell that drink? <laughs> yeah. And so it was fun for me to bring home a wad of cash at the end of the night. And I would just stack it up, put it in my little drawer next to me. And I. that's when I started to get really excited about being money motivated. And Love it was the that. first time I was seeing money and feeling it. And it was my own. And then the personal training, I had always had just an interest in fitness with bodybuilding shows 5a you
2: know, and rum. 5a and
1: running <laughs> so yeah it definitely piqued my interests and and those jobs helped out
2: so before we we get into kind of 19 and on let's go to the other end of the room Rachel we want to hear uh, your story it sounds from what i know about you very very similar talking martial arts, talking bodybuilding, talking entrepreneur, working from 14 and on. But I don't want to be the one to tell the story. So I'll let you take it from here.
0: Pretty much what Sam said. I mean, we could just take that, flip it. You know, <laughs> <on the premise laughs> day, but.
3: Flip it and reverse um, it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I grew up in a pretty good home. You know, my parents were divorced. So there was the mom's house, dad's house things. But I grew up Pretty much doing the same exact thing. My parents put me in martial arts at a really young age. I started when I was five, got all the way up to third degree black belt and ended up working there, pretty much running my own school, doing all the program director, learning all of the business stuff that really skyrocketed my business journey. Demo team competitions, going in, performing at the 51s, all the things. Pretty sure Sam and I competed against each other and we don't even know it. And we Um, don't
2: even know who won.
3: (laughs) We will never know. We're going to find
0: the pictures. I have a
2: feeling you guys would both argue that you won individually, though.
0: one of these days we got to just put on the (laughs) sparring gear and figure it out now. Yeah,
2: rematch.
3: (laughs) Rematch.
0: (laughs) But yeah, same thing. Very disciplined, very structured, focusing on a ton of life skills. And almost having to put on this, like, persona of not just being a, you know, karate student, but being an instructor, leading other children and just being a leader, whatever that meant as I felt like I had to show up as a leader at all times. From that in my home life, things were a little bit different because my sister was diagnosed with an illness. It was just me and my sister growing up. She was three years younger than me and she was not able to speak. So we at home, we had to learn ASL. We had to speak sign language She could hear, but she couldn't speak, so my family felt better if we spoke something that she could also speak on. So we had to learn ASL, and it was a lot of learning at a really young age how to be a caretaker, how to give a child medicine, give them shots, check on them, stay up all night to make sure that they're breathing, like all these things, and it forced me to become an adult really young, and with that is when I really found out that I wanted to be a public speaker. That I wanted to share a message and it started with my sister couldn't speak so I would have to go on all these news interviews for her and translate what she was saying in ASL to the newscasters and I learned that I really enjoyed being in front of the camera I really enjoyed just speaking and telling her story and inspiring people with her story so that is where I kind of learned I wanted to be a speaker that's when I stepped into teaching martial arts instead of just being a student And then eventually, similar to Sam, doing bodybuilding competitions, really just going all in and being full force into doing multiple jobs at once. I think at one point in time, I had like five different jobs, but just being that overachiever, self-discipline, trying to do it all for a really long time.
3: Well, I don't know quite as much about the demo portion of martial arts, but bodybuilding in particular, and I imagine martial arts, at least the... The self-practicing side of it is a journey that you take on your own and it's a journey that only you compete in. I mean, there's so many team sports out there, but those ones are ones that you kind of have to do on your own. It's you that has to choose whether or not to eat that food. It's all, it all kind of comes down on you and it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of courage to, to make that journey on a, on a one-person team sometimes. It's really interesting that both of y'all went down those similar routes.
1: So, we actually won the exact same title, different years in a row. We both Two won. Two different years. The same overall, show. Yeah, the exact same show, exact same title, overall winners. You put our pictures side by side. I same was bikini also blonde color back then. Blonde. I, it, it's <laughs> creepy. <scary>. It's <laughs> creepy. It's kind of weird. <laughs> That's
3: so interesting. I will be really excited to hear how y'all met. We're almost yeah. there in the journey. We're let's let's keep the journey. this story going. Yeah, we're almost there in the well, journey.
2: I want to ask a question that, Rachel, you've kind of already spoke on, but I think this is applicable to both of you, and that is, why is it important to use your voice when others can't?
1: Mm. Mm. Can't or are not? Both. I think that I can really relate to being the person that didn't when I was in the back of the classroom, when I didn't share my thoughts, when I didn't have that group of people or that group of friends or that community and connection or didn't feel safe. So I think it's really important to get to know everybody. When somebody walks into one of our events, instantly we talk about putting your ego aside. There is nobody better than anybody here. I don't care if you have a multi million dollar business. I don't care if you're a billionaire. I don't care if you started your business two days ago. I don't care if you graduated college. I don't care if you came off the streets. You're important, you're valuable. Anything that you have to offer in this room is just yourself and that is 100% enough. And I think more people need to hear that and that's exactly the message that we're trying to spread. Yeah, 100%.
0: And I I was that person that allowed my ego to get in the way and hold me back. Similar to her, how she kind of sat in the back of the classroom. I sat in the back of the classroom with an ego of like, I'm better than everybody in here for a little bit. I let that toxic out. If there was a school project, I was like, nope, I could do it by myself and I could do it better than everybody else. And I really let my ego take over for a really long time. And there was a point, a breaking point, and we, we tell this story very often, but there was a point where I was literally homeless. I was completely broken. My laptop didn't even work. I didn't even have a charger for it. I couldn't afford a charger for it. And I was sitting at a coffee shop and I would pretend I was an entrepreneur. I would pretend I was working on a cool project because I didn't want to admit to anybody that I didn't have it figured out or that my laptop didn't work because my ego was so strong. And I did that day after day after day and realized I wasn't getting anywhere when internally I was sitting in that Starbucks on my computer because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I was trying to learn from the other entrepreneurs there, but because I was letting my ego get in the way and not speaking to the other people there, not asking questions, I wasn't moving forward. And the day that I dropped my ego, the day that I admitted to someone, hey, I'm actually struggling, I really wanna be this person, I really wanna create, I really wanna impact people, but I don't know where to start and this is where I'm at, that was the day that everything changed for me and so oftentimes with our events, we see women come that don't feel like they can speak up or maybe it is their ego holding them back. And that's why we really, really iterate creating that environment where no matter what you say, no matter what your truth is, this is a place that it's accepted to encourage people to, to let that out and to speak their truths.
2: And I think the only way that you can present a space like that is having experienced it yourself. Yes. So we're not quite there yet, right? <laughs> we're still to the point where we're talking about party pals. We're 19 years <laughs> yeah, old, trying yeah. to start a business. And and also, Rachel, you were trying to be an entrepreneur yourself. So let's talk about that phase of life. What did that look like? And how did you get to the point where you discovered who you truly were and what your truths were as well?
0: We'd probably have different answers to this side of the story. Love that. For me, I was living in that very toxic masculinity ego. Everything's fine for a really long time. The go, 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 go and never stopping. And then in 2020, I had about five different jobs. My sister was diagnosed with cancer and my whole world was crashing down because I was my sister's voice. She was everything that I knew. She was my biggest supporter. She was so sick that her problems made my problems feel small. And she got so sick that she couldn't really communicate. And eventually she did pass away from cancer. And when that happened, I felt like my identity passed away with her. Because growing up, I put my everything into making sure she could speak her truth and lifting her up. And that was the moment that really snapped me out of that toxic masculinity. And I had all these feelings I did not know what to do with and leading forward to now what we do now, that's what led me to diving into my feminine side and realizing that I needed feminine relationships. Um, But my sister passing is what really spiked me into that personal development stage of my life to now be the entrepreneur that I am.
2: And when you say this masculine identity, kind of like describe that a little bit for maybe the audience that isn't familiar with what that term means. How, How would you define that?
0: So I do believe that you can have a healthy balance. Like masculinity is not negative for females to have. But when you are shutting out your emotions, not allowing yourself to feel them, pretending everything's okay, letting your ego get the best of you, right, showing up like you own the place and nothing can break you, that puts you in this place of in denial to not realize where you're actually at and not seek the opportunity, seek the help that you need.
2: Would do you feel like part of the reason also why you might have had some of these attributes and these traits was because you wanted to be strong for your sister and your family? You wanted to show up and not make it look like you were dealing with anything personally because you already knew there was all these other things that the other people you loved were already dealing with?
0: Spot on, spot on. When it came to my sister, I felt like she, with her disability and with where her mindset was at, she didn't even understand what was happening to her. And so every time I saw her, we pretended everything was okay. It was a beautiful day. It doesn't matter if we're in the hospital, like we got disco lights and we're dancing and it's a party. And then when it came to my parents, my parents were divorced. So my mom didn't have the support of, you know, my dad or other people. So I had to pretend like everything was okay for her. We didn't want to have the hard conversations. We wanted to just be the light, be the positive, keep everybody up. And I started to realize I was toxically doing that for myself and avoiding my emotions because I felt like I had to put on that show.
2: I know and I believe you're very, very strong. But at what point did you say, I'm not okay. I need to talk to somebody about this. I'm hurting.
0: Mm. I remember there was a moment. Oh, I hope I don't cry. Right when my sister was passing and she was in a coma And every time I would talk to her, she would squeeze my hand. So I felt like she was listening to me. And um, the doctor had told us, you know, we only had a couple hours with her. And I whispered in her ear and I was like, I'm going to take care of mom. I Don't know how I'm going to do it, but mom's going to be okay. And so if if you're not here tomorrow, like mom's going to be okay. And I remember sitting in that moment and realizing just that I'm not perfect and I can't provide a perfect life for mom. I can't do everything that mom wants, but I can be humanly myself. And by feeling my emotions, I'm gonna help my mom through her emotions. And that was kind of the moment that everything shifted for me. And I'm a strong believer that my sister kind of gave me that message too.
2: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. There's a a quote by Shyla uh, LaBeouf. Is that how you say it? <laughs> It's don't waste your pain. It's useful paint. Mm. And I feel like with what you're doing now, you are painting a beautiful picture in honor of your sister. So that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing.
0: Thank you. I'm actually writing a book. I don't know when it will come out, but a chapter in there is called Living for Two. And it talks about doing all of the things that my sister would do that maybe I would not have done. Uh, And so you're right on the money with that, for sure.
2: That's awesome. Well, Sam, how are you feeling over there?
1: Your turn. I'm tearing (laughs) up over here. Uh, I've seen, or I've, you know, watched Rachel the past few years, and she is the toughest chick that I know. (laughs) She is strong. She is powerful. She gets what she wants. She has... A lot of strengths where I'm weak and brings nothing but power to our company and our friendship and uh, myself. I've been inspired by her in, in many, many ways. And over the years, I've got to watch her embrace a lot of these hard feelings. And none of that comes easy. None of that comes easy. It is a lot of work to dive into the experiences that you've had growing up and especially with her story and she does it and it's not always beautiful it's not always pretty and it's not always graceful but it's real and it's authentic and she brings so much more because she's able to to do that and pour that into other people and show them and talk about it and I guarantee she probably just inspired whoever is listening to go and explore that on their own
2: well you're not giving yourself enough credit
1: let's talk about you
2: (laughs) And how you're a mother, and how you have this six multi six figure business, and how you have been so disciplined your whole life. Where do we leave off in your story? Where do we leave off?
1: Yes, so party, party, pals. party pals. pals, party pals, party pals, bring it back to party pals. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: so good old party pals. I remember starting that, and my story comes with a lot of. I'm going to use the word failures, even though I've done a lot of work of rewiring of what the word failures mean to me and failure to me is nothing but something extremely positive and productive. However, getting started, I didn't always believe that. And I put all of the money that I had into Party Pals. With a dream, with a vision, and I had $3,000 saved up to my name, and I put it all in, and I was like, I am going to make this happen.
3: Put it all on red, baby.
1: All on red. (laughs) And Guess what? It don't always turn red. (laughs) It doesn't always turn red. That turned black real quick, and I lost everything. Uh, I continue working my jobs I felt like uh, defeated I was you know upset but I was like I think that I can still pull this off so I saved up another $600 and by I lost everything is I bought this product a ton of product put it in and it didn't sell and it ended up getting copyright issues and actually being taken down and sent back to me so I had thousands of units of uh fortnite (laughs) (laughs) Solid Fortnite cupcake toppers that were copyrighted (laughs) Uh and I did not do enough due diligence on my end. And so big fat fail.
2: Well, what a smart like business idea though at the time because Fortnite was huge. Popping off and and I just
1: didn't understand how these other, maybe someone can message me, how all these other sellers were getting away with it and (laughs) I somehow (laughs) hit a copyright issue. Anyways, learned my lesson. I saved up 600 more dollars, which bought me about 600 more units and sent it in from China, sent it to Amazon's fulfillment warehouse where they shipped out everything. I just managed it from my phone and the entire product line sold out overnight. Oh my gosh. So it came, it it was like, what did I just like, what did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) Was it the
3: same product? No. Okay.
1: No. No. It was different, but it was still kind of in that range of like party supplies for kids. Yeah. I had zero passion for it. Absolutely no passion for it. But I knew that it could turn a profit and I could make some money from it and I could stop working these jobs and maybe I'd learn something along the way. That all happened. I got to quit all my jobs. I don't even think I actually graduated college. I walked across the stage, but I don't think that I actually got my degree. don't tell my parents this. I think that I still have to do like half a credit.
3: (laughs) And when you say you think... You I'm mean, like not you know. 99% know.
1: sure. <laughs> there was this email I never responded to because I'm like, I don't need this. Did
3: you get a diploma in the mail?
1: I have a fake one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, talking about
3: Pretty sure my, here. <laughs>
1: my parents hung it. Double <laughs> <banded>. <laughs> It's not real. Don't hire me. I the don't have a degree. The power of Microsoft <laughs>
3: your Hopefully your parents do not listen to this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. Gotta
3: love Adobe Phobos, Photoshop.
1: I don't know. I think that's like 60 grand down the toilet. <laughs> I learned everything off YouTube and courses and mentorship. Anyways, besides the point, so it ended up me with my hoodie on, two in the morning, crunched over my computer, talking to, I'll never forget his name. It was Wally Wang. I was, <laughs> I was talking to Wally Wang all night long. He was my supplier. And I was so not about it. I was <laughs> not about Wally Wang. I hated what I was doing. I hated what I was selling. Cool, it was making me money, but it was the first time that I really understood what passion meant to me. I was not lit up about Party Pals or Wally Wang, I'll tell you that much. Mm. <laughs> so I ended up actually going through a phase of depression where I thought that, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where You have this goal it's so clear that you want it so bad you want to chase after it for me it was like I want to make my first ten thousand dollars and I want to do it through Amazon and you hit it and then all of a sudden it feels as if all of those hopes all of those it doesn't feel like what you think it's gonna feel like it kind of sucks actually
3: it's like I'll be happy when
1: I'll be happy when dot 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 I reached this goal and I learned then that it's not about the goal It's about the process. It's about the people. It's about the connections. It's about the community. It's about what you learn along the way. And I didn't like my story. I didn't like who I was becoming. I didn't like that I had nobody in my corner. I reached my first $10,000 with Amazon FBA at 20 years old, and I had no one to share that with.
3: Well, who did you think you were becoming at that time?
1: I was very into materialistic things. So what was important to me was a nice house, a nice car, and nice things, and that was it. So I started to reach these goals, and I found myself feeling emptier than I had ever felt. And what that looked like was me moving back in with my parents, quitting Amazon Party Pals, and starting over, but it didn't come easy. It was six months or so of sitting on the couch, watching TV, not really talking to anyone, feeling like I had no purpose. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to create? And for six months, I started to tell myself, every you're a failure. You're worthless. You thought you could do something you'd, and it didn't work out for you. Over and over and over to the point where I felt completely broken and I started to go numb.
2: You know what's interesting is you tend to find people who are very discipline, and very good at stuff are also the ones that are the hardest on themselves as well, right? So you'll have maybe someone who has like a drinking problem per se, they're drinking, they're pretty damn good at drinking, right? And their life's miserable, but when they turn it around and they stop, maybe they get focused on fitness and they're just like uber focused on fitness. Do you feel like that's
3: interesting too? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your question. But you do see a lot of people that go from drug addict to entrepreneur and you every time you see them, their eyes are like wide open and they're like talking a thousand miles a minute. They're just like very intense people that just maybe have an addictive personality and once they channel it away from drugs and channel it into something productive, they explode. And it's so amazing to see people turn their lives around like that and channel it into something positive. So Matt... Sorry to t- steal your thunder. Finish your question, sir. No, you pretty
2: much finished my sentence and 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 my thought. Well, you were going to ask a question point. to Sam, I believe. Yeah, I, I was just, and I imagine Sam's probably already about to answer this, but we're kind of curious how how it switched, right? Like, at what point did you say, "I'm tired of being sick and tired"? It's time to change. And when did you f- refine that passion and that drive?
1: Yeah. So. It was about six months or so of just being extremely depressed, telling myself you're a failure, you're worthless. And one day I woke up and I was like, I just want to hear a different voice in my head. I don't, I don't like who I am. I don't like talking to myself. I don't like being with myself. So I put in some headphones. I started listening to podcasts. I started to listen to like those really corny, like motivational ones. Like you can do it you can do anything thomas (laughs) les brown i love les brown (laughs) and i put it in and it you know gave me like that temporary like fix and i walked up and i sat and i watched this beautiful sunset i was living in vegas with my parents at the time and i went for a hike and it was just i remember exactly when i closed my eyes what the sunset looked like because i was just like wow, this is gorgeous. Because the first time I went outside and just embraced things in a long time, I had just numbed out the world for so long that when I sat there and just embraced something beautiful, I can remember it so clearly in my head because one of the clouds looked like an eagle flying in the sky. And I was like, that's just beautiful. Mm. And I closed my eyes. And I kind of had one of those come to Jesus moments where – What am I supposed to do? What is my purpose? Why am I here over and over asking myself, what am I doing here? And I closed my eyes and I remember just everything hit me at once. I start crying and snot like everything was not (laughs) cute. And I feel really bad for the people walking past me, but I didn't even care. And I had this like meditation music playing and I like kind of saw this vision of myself. And keep in mind, I was the back of the classroom person. Didn't speak up. Extremely shy. The reason I did Amazon FBA Party Pals because I didn't have to talk to anybody other than Wally Wang.
3: I love that name.
1: <laughs> so I keep saying it. It's fantastic. It sure
3: is. That's my new Instagram handle <laughs> at Wally Wang, ATX.
1: <laughs> and I saw this vision, and these are my eyes are closed. And it was me, and I was standing in front of hundreds if not thousands of people and I was speaking I don't know what I was saying but I felt something it was like electricity going through my veins and I was I was just embraced by so much emotion I just felt like I I was like I don't know what this is but I feel really called to it I don't know why why this like out of everything speaking to people people <laughs> I don't like people <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden it's just clear vision I don't know how I don't know what but I know that I'm there and that didn't start coming into fruition until years later, but I always kept it in the back of my mind and I get to share this story over and over because one of our main missions and goals is to pack a stadium of over 10,000 women. And I strongly believe that vision was planted on me that day when I sat there and I closed my eyes and I said, why am I here? And I heard a little voice and I picked up on it and I listened to it because I think every single person has that little voice of what they're supposed to do, what they're meant to bring, what their passion and what their purpose is, it's calling on you. You just have to be brave enough to listen. And I got to listen to that when I was at my rock bottom. I think rock bottom is the best place that you could ever be at. And some people get to do it over and over again, right? But that's when the voices are sometimes the clearest and the loudest because you have a blank canvas.
2: So it sounds very similar. You guys are both twenty.
1: No, no. No, no, no. At the time. At the time. At the time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm getting is. In the story, right? You guys both (laughs) go through a really, really, really tough time, but it was also a change in identity that was necessary for the next chapter.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I would say my rock bottom was around 18, 19, and then- 20 was like, yeah, another, well, There was like three years of rock bottom in there. But yeah, here
1: yeah.
2: I mean, did you guys come to Austin pretty soon after? Or how did you make it here?
0: Um. So for me personally, after my sister passed, I really needed a change of scenery. And at the time I had about five jobs in Vegas. I was literally personal training. I was a mermaid in some of the Las Vegas shows. It's so a whole thing. Whole thing. Um, and I was doing, running a marketing agency at the same time and doing sales. And I, that was around the time COVID hit as well. And I was offered a door to door job in Arizona. And
2: what type of door to door?
0: I did security and then I did solar. So I did both.
2: Nice. Like security, like ADT or Vivint. Vivend. Ha ha.
3: One of those. We know Vivend. <laughs>
0: One of those. Nice. Hey, yeah. isn't
3: that where Jacob Hopkins went? Uh,
2: he's in Vegas, but he's working for Alex really for Oh uh, no, but but Taylor was, Isaac's was was Vivian's top. Oh salesman. yeah, did that ring a bell? Taylor, Taylor Isaac. I think I've
0: heard it. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Because he moved. I think the dude that's one of the dudes that started that company moved him in with him in Arizona. They will was, do
0: everything to get you to only focus on that. They will move you to a whole nother city, which is what they did for me. Wow And what
2: city was that?
0: So I ended up going to Arizona Which Door-to-door industry I will say Didn't love it But it taught me So much About sales So much Which I use now Like that taught me Everything about business Um, But went to Phoenix, Arizona For the summer So it's about 120 outside and they drop you off at 9 a.m. and they pick you up at like 10, 30 p.m. if they remember to pick you up. Um, oh, and you just have to knock on doors, ask for water, ask for snacks, ask people to use their bathroom and survive the heat.
2: You're a trooper.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> well, what are some things that you learned? And I know there's a lot because the guy that is literally living in the room right behind you worked for Vivint for a summer in St. Uh-huh. Louis. But I'd love to hear your take on it because here you are using, I'm sure, some of those skills to help you and connect her and the business you guys currently run.
0: Yeah, I say sales is everything. Sales is everything. Sales is a conversation that you have. Even if you are sitting with your friends and you're telling them about your favorite pizza restaurant, you are selling them on that idea. And so, just learning the psychology of—it's not even convincing somebody, but painting a picture of something to another human is very, very important. Door to door, in its own, is very interesting because it really just forces you into sales. It forces you, and you knock on that door, somebody's answering, and you have to say something. <laughs> um, and Vivit, in particular, love them. They're awesome, but they did not necessarily train you. They just said, "Here's the product. Here's your iPad. Good luck." You knock on a door, they could come out yelling at you. They could come out shooting you. That's happened. Or they can come out wanting to hear what you say. You don't know what you're getting. And so you really have to learn how to build connection in a second. I went from Vivint for a summer. I did a summer with Vivint in Arizona. And then I heard about solar, which solar sales was higher income. I was there for the money. If I'm spending time knocking doors, I want to make a little bit more. And that's what brought me out to Austin was solar sales. And with solar sales, I learned even deeper connection because you are not only just knocking on this door having to build a relationship, but you're knocking on this door having to get into their house and within 30 minutes or less, getting them to sign a a document for an $80,000 loan, a hundred K loan. And so you really have to build rapport, you really have to build connection. The number one thing I would say it taught me is literally just how to have a conversation, how to be present, how to genuinely talk to somebody and how to read body language and paint a picture very quickly for what you're selling.
3: And how about having a tough conversation? Because of course you do have to talk about the most crucial part of that sale and that is the financial part.
0: Yeah. So if they have a Hummer... Typically, they (laughs) fail credit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Learn that real quick.
0: If they have a Tacoma, which I drive a Tacoma, so I don't know how I feel about this, but they typically come out yelling at you. Um, So we learned a lot of psychology before you even hit the door. Who's home? How many people live in the house? Do they have children? What's the demographics? Immediately before you knock on that door, and that's kind of how you're able to build that relationship. But tough conversations in sales typically start with somebody having a bad experience in sales. You think most people's first experience with sales is when they pull up to a dealership and someone basically pulls them out of their car trying to sell them on a car. And so immediately people are putting up this smoke screen of, I don't want to talk to you because they don't even know what you're about to sell. They just don't want to be sold on anything. And so immediately building that rapport of, I'm here to connect with you. I'm here to teach you. I'm actually passionate about what I'm selling, which I don't know if I was totally passionate about solar, but I was passionate about connecting. So those hard conversations was just trying to get to that connection right away. And some people aren't your client and you know that real quick and then you just move on.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's tough. How did you deal with rejection during that time?
0: Mm. I would say the rejection side of door to door taught me the most about myself. Because at first it was very similar to kind of what Sam was talking about of like sitting on the curb, sweating your ass off. You know, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not a good salesperson. Nobody listens to me. Nobody sees me. Nobody hears me. Nobody wants to learn about what I have to say. But it flipped into really just understanding that one thing of people have a bad thought process of sales. Sales sounds sleazy to people. It's not me. And so rejection, it kind of became a game. Like it was like, are they going to reject me? Oh, okay. Moving on to the next one. <laughs> That's a bad house. Don't <laughs> knock that door. But it, it gave me this sense of confidence of like, I can get rejected and I can still go make a couple grand in a day. I can get rejected and I'm still a good salesperson. I'm still good at connecting. And now correlating into what we do with Connector, teaching sales and, you know, working with clients on our own, we're able to not get offended when somebody isn't ready to move forward or you know, walk our clients through what that looks like when they are working on their own sales process because rejection has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the mindset of the person that you're talking to.
3: Mm-hmm. That's a really great point.
2: Yeah, and on the point of rejection, Sam, I imagine during that time and that stint of depression, you probably felt a lot of the same feelings, not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough, not feeling like you could accomplish Whatever dream or goal that you had, you couldn't close the sale like Rachel just alluded to. But you sat outside, you watched the sunset, and you cried. You had this vision of you public speaking. How did you start working towards that vision of this higher self that you saw that you could be?
1: Mm, That's a good question. It started with habits. If you're going to achieve what other people have achieved, why don't you look at what they're doing? So I started to study. I started to learn. As I sat on my computer and started to build something, I would have podcasts i'd have ed Milette, jay shetty women of impact playing in the background and i was constantly just absorbing information i went through a lot of just information overload but it was so great because it was the first time i was hearing like these concepts and this personal development meditation and reading every day what (laughs) and going for walks and working out twice a day like push yourself to twice a day that's crazy And, you know, eating right, I had a lot of good habits instilled, but uh, the personal development education side of things is something that I was working on. So what I did and what we still do is I put out a giant whiteboard and somewhere that I would see it every single day. And I would put all of the number of the days of the the, the month. So one through 30 on this whiteboard. And then I would put what are the habits that I want to hit within these 30 days? What are my top five to 10 habits that I want to hit? sometimes it changes throughout the seasons because sometimes those habits are meditation, prayer, visualization and really just getting in tune with my intuition. And sometimes those habits are a little bit more firm like you're working out twice a day, you're going to read every day, you're going to, you know, drink this amount of water, you're going to, you know, eat on a certain diet and you're not in, and that's like more of a discipline season. Or sometimes we're in a heavy push season with our business. And we need to hit certain milestones, certain metrics, certain numbers. How many sales calls do I want to close this week? How many, you know, number of people do I want to talk to? How many relationships do I want to build? And those are my habits. So what are the top things that I want to focus on? Put it on the whiteboard where I see it every single day. I walk by it and I look at it and it's staring me in the face. Did I do what I said I was going to do today? Yes or no. Have that ominous conversation with yourself. And the biggest person that I'm competing against is myself for that time frame. (laughs) Now it's sometimes turns to Rachel, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that's kind of how it started was discipline with habits. Mm. So did you get
2: a new job that puts you into a position where you can move to Austin or what did it look like that got you here in the 512?
1: So I actually took a job where (laughs) I learned from somebody that I looked up to. So she was more of a mentor and I learned everything that she did. I learned her systems. I learned her sales process. I learned her funnels. It was amazing. I was just absorbing it and I was not motivated to do it for her. (laughs) I was motivated to build it for myself. Nice. (laughs) Not for her. (laughs) Understandable. Uh, She's
3: like, "Uh, uh, Inconspicuous wallflower Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As soon
3: as she knows everything, boom
1: (laughs) And I really wanted to do a good job for her So I did, I put in effort and I tried really hard And I remember the day that she let me go Was the day that I signed the lease to move to Austin And that was my main source of income And I had just signed the lease And I learned so much from her And I remember the day that she let me go She had said to me, you're not meant to be an entrepreneur You are meant to work for somebody And this was someone I looked up to so much, like her words cut deep. And this is the same day I'm supposed to make this giant leap of faith, go to Austin, where I don't know a single person, not one person. I just picked a spot on the map. It was Austin, Texas. I went and I grabbed myself a lease. I signed it two weeks after I thought of the idea. And then I had just won my bodybuilding show and was going to, you know, ride this momentum all the way to Austin and go make some friends. And I hit this big, like, oh crap, am I supposed to be doing this? And I was terrified.
3: So what do you do? And I'm sure this has happened multiple times for both of y'all. What do you do when you hit that moment where you have to ask yourself that question? Am I supposed to be doing this?
1: So for me, that is a lot of intuition. And that's not something that I learned for a very long time. And what that looks like is all distractions, gone. No phone, no TV, no communication. Just sit with myself. Normally it's in a dark room. I like to, I don't know, have some like calming music play and I'll, I'll just close my eyes and I'll just ask myself real questions. What would happen if this is the way that we wanted to go? What, you, what like feels right And I have to just tune into it because the voices, again, I trust the voices. Are they real or, and and if you're having distraction, if I go to run to my friends at the time or my parents at the time, what should I do? Tell me what to do. They're not gonna be, they have my best interest, but I can't seek advice from other people and expect that I'm gonna be following the right path that I'm supposed to be on.
2: That's a really good question. And it's a really good answer too. And I think it's something that we should all take more time to do. Is there a particular environment that you would encourage people to maybe get back in tune with themselves other than a dark room? Do you think you could do it like in a sauna maybe or in yoga?
0: At a connector event.
2: Ooh, (laughs) shameless plug. (laughs) Love it.
1: Plug it in there. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I typically sit in the shower. (laughs) And that is where I find the most amount of peace is when I am just being submerged in water warm water it feels so comforting I feel like I i just have like this warm blanket around me um, I, the sound the noise like everything about it just brings me so much peace I'm no stranger to uh, panic attacks as well I've had tons of panic attacks in my life which is a separate story but water instantly when I'm in water it's just like But find that place for you because that doesn't always look like the exact same. I think saunas are extremely relaxing as well. Going for a hike, getting in tune with nature. I do a lot of hikes on my own and I find a lot of peace in that as well.
2: Well, speaking of getting in tune, something that is perfect for this moment is to introduce something that we call the meaningful moment. So here in this last 20 minutes of the episode, we're going to be talking all about how you guys met, how you've created the business that you've created, and the vision and the mission that you have moving forward. But to set the stage, we want to know what you guys mean to each other. This is your chance to share some kind words with one another before we hear how you met and how Connect Her began. So, Sam, do you want to say some nice words about Rachel? Rachel, you want to say some nice words about Sam? This is your chance.
0: I'll go first. I feel like we'll kind of piggyback off of each other. Love that. Um, Thank God. (laughs) No, I would say our relationship is the biggest motivator, the biggest inspiration for each other, but also the biggest challenge. And the reason why is, as you've heard in our stories, we're very similar in many ways, but we're also different in many ways. And so oftentimes we find ourselves comparing or competing against each other. And that has served us in so many ways, but also it makes us check ourselves sometimes, like, kind of check our egos at the door, have the conversation. And one thing that Sam is really good at and incredible at is communication and forcing us to have that, maybe forcing me to have that conversation in the beginning and sitting down and being like, this is what I'm struggling with. This is why we're here. I see you guys nodding at each other. Maybe you've had some communication. Zach's a good
2: communicator. Ah. No, always (laughs) bring something up and it's necessary.
0: Yes. Yes. And one thing that she brought up to me was that when we would catch ourselves competing against each other, It was before we go and blame, before we go and say, you're doing better than me in this and da-da-da-da-da, whatever it is, what are you feeling within? What's coming up within? And assessing that so then we can have that conversation. Communication and just the way that she structures her boundaries to balance work, life balance, all those things, the way that she's able to show up presently very often and not just present for me, but present for her fiance, present for her now baby, present at our events, and for our community is really inspiring to me.
1: Aw, thanks.
0: I don't say nice things often, so <laughs> we don't that. even hug.
1: We don't <laughs> hey, hug. Well, we have a boundary. Well, we
2: got it on video. So can <laughs> watch it back. Every night before I go
1: to sleep, <laughs> remind myself about you know you could probably
3: me. clip it and set it as your as your alarm clock. <laughs>
1: You know, when we post content after this, it's not going to be me speaking. I'm just going to clip you saying nice things about me. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Thank you. Now let me hear it. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things definitely about Rachel and I is we are our biggest challengers. And I think that challengers are placed in your life for a reason and a purpose, and We get to show each other where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. She has shown me many weaknesses in myself because, not because she's pushing it in my face and saying, you need to do better at this, this and this, but because she is so strong at things that I wish that I could be stronger at. And so when I watch her and I see her with so much confidence, with so much power, with so much authority, with so much, she knows how to go after what she wants and she's not afraid to stand up to somebody and that is something that i really struggle with when we were actually first getting started i struggled with uh, objections if somebody told me no i would be terrified <laughs> i would be like you're right <laughs> okay and, great <laughs> <actor sings. laughs> and it was just because there was there was a missing link in my voice and she is a great teacher And she sat with me and there was times where she was actually typing out in front of me the words that I could be saying. (laughs) This is how you handle this. This is how you handle this. And she was never afraid or is never afraid to kind of meet me where I'm at when I am struggling. And I think it takes a really great leader to be able to have as much patience and understanding and empathy for meeting your business partners where they're at. So I know that there's a lot of challenges that we have overcome. There's a lot of boundaries that we've had set, but she's 100% the most supportive person. She will back you up until the day that she dies. She will fight. She is a (laughs) fighter in your corner. If, you know, somebody on the street ever were to mess with me, even though we're both martial artists, I know for a fact she would probably destroy somebody (laughs) So I feel like she's the kind of friend that I wish every single person had
2: It's amazing. Thank you guys for taking the time to do that And zach, why do we do the meaningful moment for our listeners? I love to talk about this. I think it's so important So the reason why
3: we do the meaningful moment is i'm an avid podcast listener and I thought that it would be super cool to take a moment to push pause on the podcast right now, who's ever listening, call somebody that means a lot to you and tell them what they mean to you. And a lot of times people just don't do that very often. They don't say it to maybe a friend that they hadn't talked to in a while. I and mean, we all have a lot of friends. So every episode, pick a different friend and yeah, just tell them how much, how much they mean to you because you never know when it's going to be the last time you'll get to say that. And I never want anybody to have any regrets at the end of their lives, especially things that were in their control.
2: That's beautiful, Zach. Thank you. So ladies, in less than a year, you guys have launched a top ranked women's networking company here in Austin, Texas, and grew a community of 10,000 plus women and organized over a hundred live in-person events but it started because y'all met. So what is that story? How did you guys meet? What did that look like? What was the first impression of one another? Let's get into it. How did you guys meet?
0: When I first saw Sam, we both looked at each other and pretty much mentally said, who is she? (laughs) Um, At the time I was in Austin, Sam had just moved to Austin. And our mutual friend was that bodybuilding coach. So mind you, she had just won her bodybuilding show. I had won my bodybuilding show a couple years before. We had the same coach and he had messaged us both and was like, you two are very similar. It's scary. You need to meet. So we agreed to meet at a gym and I was never a girl's girl, right? I was never really friends with girls. So I was like, this is we're going to meet once. It's going to be really awkward. Probably never going to hang out again. And she pulls up in her lifted Jeep. I pull up in my lifted truck. And we pull up next to each other blaring country music. And we just look at each other. And we were like, mm, this could work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then we sat in the gym and we planned on working out together. And it turned into like a three-hour brainstorm sesh on how we were like, wait, I want to be a public speaker. You want to be a public speaker? I want to do this. I like hosting events. I like this. And we pretty much brainstormed what is now Connector was in power all at the gym right when we met each other.
1: It was love at first sight. It's like (laughs) (laughs) we sat there, our brains connected and we went and we probably were like inseparable every day since.
2: Well, let's talk about that first event that you guys did throw. How soon after was it from the day you met where you had people in a space, in a setting, doing show business, all the elements that brought people together and created this community that you guys have built?
0: So it evolved. So the first one we did was not at all what Connector events are now. It was a workout in the park at 6 a.m. I don't know why we thought we wanted to get up at 6 a.m. and run a meditation and workout. We did it and it was co-led. So it was it was men and women.
2: Did you guys name it? Yes. What was it called at the time?
0: (laughs) It was called improve moi. (laughs) (laughs) Wee (laughs) wee! Aren't you glad we moved on to new names? But we started running events every single week. So every single week, multiple times a week, we were doing workouts in the park. And then it led to every single Sunday. What was that called? Sisterhood Sundays. That was mm-hmm. when we decided we wanted to work with women.
2: It's better than improve ma. Yeah. So
0: yeah, you guys evolved. <laughs> All right. It's only up <laughs> Making from here. progress. But yeah, I would say that was about three to four weeks after we met. We started running those events. Then we did events every single Sunday. Talk about burnout for weeks and weeks and months and months and months. But every event got a little bit better every event, the message got a little bit deeper. The women were more in on it. We started to see regular faces. We started to build community around it. And that led us to now the events that we do, which obviously come with a lot of production and a lot more thought and intention.
2: So the guests that were coming back, what do you think was the reason they kept showing up?
0: Okay. So when Sam and I first started, we went to a networking event, right? And I guess you guys are boys, so you don't understand. Mm. But when you are a female walking into a networking event, sometimes it gets a little weird. Okay. There's a lot of men that will hit on you or not necessarily take you seriously. And then on the flip side, there's men and women that are in that materialistic entrepreneur mindset that we were talking about earlier. And we went to this networking event. And this is when Sisterhood Sundays started to evolve into female entrepreneurs. And we realized that the thing that was missing was vulnerability. The thing that was missing was dropping that ego at the door and people having real and raw conversations, truly just showing up as their true selves. And that was what we started to implement in our events when we saw that shift was when the conversations went from here's my business card, this is who I serve to this is my business and this is what I'm struggling with and this is what I need help with and people were able to put that wall down and just be their true selves.
3: So let me ask you this and I'm not denying that there is a huge difference when men are there but what is what was the reason and, and what do you think removing men and just allowing women to be there together, what did you see that provide to the atmosphere?
1: I would say a... A safe space not because men are unsafe we're 100% not a feminist group anti-men but we wanted to create a space that we needed when we were feeling our most vulnerable and that was a space of safety and trust and vulnerability and getting outside of our comfort zone and one of that feelings or one of those feelings was just that feminine soft energy but we're also really big on getting outside that comfort zone and pushing our limits and doing hard things. And we wanted to create a space where all of these incredible women who are on the verge of creating something magnificent or already are, they felt like there was a place that they could let their guard down and be comfortable. And the feedback that we were getting was the business world is very male-dominated and there's nothing wrong with that. However, all of these women are looking for somebody that can relate to them, that understand them, that maybe they're mothers too, or maybe they're just going through divorce, or maybe they're trying to figure this thing out while they're moving in with their parents. And we found that connection started to grow even stronger when it started to be more of this feminine energy and atmosphere.
2: And how do you create that atmosphere? Do you guys go up and speak on stage right from the onset and kind of Lay out the vision and the mission for the evening? Or is it the exact space that you're choosing and you have certain decorations and you're asking your guests to wear certain clothing? Like how do you create that space and that atmosphere to have an element of comfort?
0: All of the above, except for asking someone to wear certain clothing. I will never tell somebody how to dress. (laughs) I use Pinterest. Pinterest tells me how to dress. Um, But all of the above. And what I think what we really excel in is every single event is different. And so people don't know what to expect. They just know they get to show up. And when they walk in that room, they're going to make connections and they're going to feel accepted. But it was a lot of making people chant things in a non-cult way (laughs) of like positive affirmations. I feel good. I feel great. To the next moment, people getting deep and vulnerable and crying and, you know, sharing the deepest things of their story like you had us do earlier of their childhood that they never even knew they were holding within. And then the next moment, they're finding solutions to systems that they need in their business. They're finding that next equity partner, that next business partner, that next friend. And then they're chanting things again. And then they're getting vulnerable and just taking them on this roller coaster of a full experience. I don't think it has to do with the venue or the setting. That's just a bonus. Um, But the overall environment.
1: Rachel and I are very big on intention. So what we do before every event is we sit there and we talk about how do we want them to feel what is the experience that we want them to create what is the energy we want them to leave with and we meditate on that we talk about it back and forth and every question every exercise every team member we bring in understands this intention every volunteer every sponsor they understand what the message is why it's here what it's placed for Because when somebody walks in, there should be zero question that they are loved, that they are seen, that they are accepted, that they are heard, that they are in the right place. And we are here to get to know them and their story.
3: Well, speaking of stories, you guys have crushed over a hundred events so far. Do you have any stories of people that have attended those events that stand out to you?
0: Yes, I have one. So one thing I was going to add on what we were talking about before one thing that was a game changer for us was realizing it was less about us and what we say on stage and more about the connection in the audience. Like I can say anything, whether it's right or wrong, that doesn't matter. What matters is that everybody leaves with a new partner, a new conversation, a new person. And so really getting our audience to connect with each other was something that really excelled but i remember our april conference last year which was our second big conference that we did sam and i were beyond stressed <laughs> um, we had we had a good team at the time but we they're going from a networking event to a full production conference there's a big gap in a lot of systems that need to be in order and we were just learning those things And so there was a part of me that wasn't even present in the event and I was trying to do it all. And I remember this one woman came up to me and before the event, she was like, this is my first event. I'm so excited to be here. And I was like, that's great. I got to go deal with that. So good to see you. And then after the conference, she came up to me and she was like, can I just talk to you and be vulnerable for a second? Because I don't live here in Austin. I actually live in another state. I'm visiting here because I want to move here, but I'm in a relationship right now where my husband is abusive to me. He talks down to me. He's physically abusive to me. And I found this online and just decided to show up today because I wanted to know there was something more for me outside of that house. And she started tearing up and I started tearing up and she took off her wedding ring and she's like, Tonight, you guys and the ladies that I met here showed me that I'm meant for more. Showed me that I'm capable of following my passions, following my dreams, leaving the things behind that hurt me, leaving the things behind that don't serve me. And I want you to know I'm moving to Austin. She like took her wedding ring off and shoved it in her purse and she was like, screw that wedding ring. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? I broke up a relationship, but I'm happy for you. Like, I really sat on that story and that's one of many There's so many different walks of life that walk into our event, so many. But the reoccurring thing is through the conversations they have with each other, they find themselves on a deeper level.
2: It's just a testament that businesses' heartbeat are the people. The heartbeat of community, the heartbeat of success is measured on the power of relationships that you're able to create, and you're able to continue as time goes on. What a beautiful story.
0: She still lives here in Austin too. Does she really? Every event, she's there.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, something that I I really wanted to kind of dig into just briefly was kind of how the mission came to be. There's this this idea that mission statements in the corporate world have to be you know, so structured and rigid, but I feel like you guys came up with it very organically. And I'd love to, to hear, is that something you guys meditated on? How did you come up with the, the mission for ConnectHer?
1: I think for us, the mission is the ripple effect. So, and this evolved as we started to hear stories And as we started to see transformations happening and Rachel and I realized that we're here because we are excellent at creating transformational experiences for other people, whether that is through events or mentorship or memberships or whatever it is that we're offering. We are really good at getting people to feel this incredible breakthrough And what we realized is when we have this crazy breakthrough, when we see these transformation happening within our women, there's a ripple effect. The way that they show up for their clients, the way that they're able to help more people, the way that they go home to their husbands or their children, and there's more light, there's more energy, there's more excitement in their day. That's what we're here to do. And we wanted to do that for one single person. That's how it started. What if we helped transform one life and that life was able to transform another one and then that one did another one and then that one did another one. And we realized that if we can do that with one, what if we did that with 10? What if we did that with 20? What if we hosted an event every week? What if we did it every month? What if we packed a stadium of 10,000 women and that was our goal? And think of all of the impact, the ripple, the wave that will hit just because we planted that seed, just because we know we're gifted at something, we have passion and that energy is able to emulate into generations that we don't ever experience or see, but we know to our core that we're able to help fulfill.
2: You guys are passionate about inspiring women everywhere to reach their full potential. You bring together ambitious women to impact, inspire, and motivate one another through authentic connection and real relationships. And your events bring together elements of show business and production to create a unique and unforgettable experience. For any of our listeners who may be interested in coming to the next Connect Her event, what can they expect?
0: Excitement. Energy. Energy. Expect the unexpected. They can expect to make a connection. We like to say our mission in a simple term is you're one connection away. So when they come to that event, no matter where they're at in life, no matter what they've experienced, no matter what they're struggling with, they're going to make a connection that's going to change their life.
2: You couldn't have said that any better. Guys, we do one last thing on this episode. It is from the great Lewis. (laughs)
3: House, <laughs> <Is> that's right. <laughs> you almost <messed> <laughs> for like months. I
2: said Lewis Holmes for some reason, uh, but no, Lewis House. He runs a podcast called The School of Greatness, and at the end of his episodes, he asks his guest this very special question. And I'm going to set the stage. I'm going to ask you guys. Zach, you're welcome to do the same. It looks like you're already doing it because you know what's coming. To close your eyes, take a deep breath. And through your nose and breathe out when you feel ready I want you to keep your eyes closed and envision this envision that you never existed you guys never met each other you never started pow her which is now connect her You guys have never thrown an event. Nobody knows who you are. The accomplishments, the accolades, they all disappear. They dissipate into thin air. But you do have the opportunity at this moment right now to leave behind three things that you think could help the world. These three things are your three truths carved in stone for the rest of the population to see for the years and years to come these are three things that you embody and feel are important for others to keep in mind as they've been beneficial to your life what are those three things you'd leave behind with the rest of the world what are your three truths You can go.
1: I go, you go, I go, you go. Let's do it. First one would be vulnerability. It's your greatest superpower.
0: It's not about the journey. It's not about the end result, but it's about the community and connections along the way.
1: Rock bottom can be the best blank canvas that you ever have to start a brand new painting. Life is not that serious. We are literally just
0: floating on a rock. So like do whatever the fuck you want. She's thinking real hard.
1: (laughs) There's so many going through my brain.
0: Presence is a superpower. Because if you're living in the past, oftentimes you're living in depression or negativity or you know going through the spiral of it. And if you're living in the future, you're not paying attention to what's happening right now. But if you're present that is what's really going to lead you and guide you to exactly where you need to be.
1: The places where you feel like you failed or you're, you're weak, listen to those, study them because those could be the reasons why you become great.
2: Ladies, what a fun episode. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a blast. We learned a lot. And my favorite part personally was just hearing your stories. So thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for this friendship and this relationship that I know we will continue for many years to come. If there's any way the Riser team can help you guys, we're here for it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Connect Her podcast. We are your hosts, Sam and Rach. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to show your support, make sure to connect your friends with your favorite episode, leave a review,
1: and download that favorite episode for later. And remember, you're always one connection away. We'll catch you in the next episode.